This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Robert Bendetti, Chief Financial Officer and Senior Vice President at Lifecycle Engineering, to talk about what's in store for finance teams in 2022 and beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thanks for having me, Mercy. So first, Robert, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through finance? And I know that you're very involved with founding and leading CFO councils, so maybe you could share a little bit about that work. Sure. I'm a CFO of a mid-market firm headquartered on the East Coast of the U.S., husband, father, ultra runner, and I've always been in corporate accounting since college, just really enjoyed it and pursued that corporate accounting career. Uh, sort of through the ranks. And along the way, I really found that I enjoyed educational and networking forums and was looking for something in a new city that I moved into and didn't find it. So sort of started my own thing and it's grown over time. Very cool. So now I kind of want to get into the into the future stuff, um, but begin by looking back at the past. We We all know that it's been a really challenging and disruptive time for all organizations across industries, across sizes, for at least the past year and a half. And unfortunately, it seems like the hits keep coming. So my question for you is, how can finance teams better manage cash flows, perhaps leveraging some of the lessons learned from all the challenges that we've faced to mitigate the impact of potential disruptions in 2022 and beyond? I think first it's important to if nothing else, this period of time has reminded us why cash is so important. And so it it might not be the most important thing for senior financial executives, but it's got to be up there in the top two or three. And by having proper cash flow management and having reserves or access to cash, it mitigates risk, which we live in a period of really high risk. It helps with cost control because if you have adequate cash, that was planned for in advance, it's either, uh, it's certainly at a lower cost, let's say that. And then cash allows you to exploit opportunities. When others are feel fearful, you can be aggressive. So uh, that's just sort of the foundation, I think that's important to the conversation is why does this even matter? And then I, I have found myself in a real season of cash flow management. My focus in the past 18 months been really internally focused Whereas before, say over the past five years, I've been working the cash flow management process through things that are outside the four walls of my corporation. It could be vendor, it could be customers, but I found myself really laser focused on the internal Mm -hmm. processes that I control and my team controls uh, with emphasis towards process automation. Mm -hmm. And so it's some examples of that. So uh, I can make the cash flow process, my cash conversion cycle improve by improving the invoicing process and or the payables and receivables process or just something as simple as project closeout with operations. I mean, there, are, there's, there could be 10, 20, 30% improvements in your cash conversion cycle just by looking at simple internal processes by that. And I don't mean sort of the old school way of you're just trying to educate people on how to use the software system. I'm talking about real deep dives and leaning out the process first and then automating that using the tools that are available to us all. 
I just think I found an exceptional amount of opportunity um, in all three of those things. Awesome. Was that something that you all um, started kind of pre-pandemic and you really started to see the benefits um, then or did you or, um, you know, was that more of a response? Well, I found myself leaning on old skills. You know, I, I, what I just said is nothing new. These things were true 20 years ago. Um, and but I just for you know, a couple seasons, I had been looking externally. And so when it's a pandemic and nobody's returning, the, your vendors and your, your customers are not returning your calls, but cash is still really important. There's only one thing you control and it's yourself. And I don't need a vendor to pick up the phone or be available in their office. Mm-hmm. All those things I can control myself. And I also found myself, wow, I've implemented all these new software systems and independently of themselves, they all are fantastic. Uh, but when I really had a chance to deep dive with the leaders that run these areas, we found there was significant waste in the processes. So let's lean that out and eliminate as much waste as possible. Let's eliminate as much variance as possible in the process. And then now let's, uh, through process automation tools, all let's all these systems talk together to make this as, as fast as possible. And it really had dramatic impacts on cash flow, which is super important during a pandemic when everybody's worried you're going to make payroll. Absolutely. And I think that leads right into my next question about um, what you think the might the next phase of digital transformation might look like. We've been talking about RPA um, for the last couple of years. Um, what else do you think is on the on the slate for the future? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we've been talking about RPA long enough. It's definitely going to happen. I, and I, I let's pick uh, the wrinkle of how that connects to what we've been talking about here with cash flow management. I think touchless cash automation is definitely in the near term that there, there are people touching all the processes I just described with the cash um, conversion cycle. And there'll be a lot less people in that process going forward. It, the, the systems will speak to each other. And I, I really see in the next one... Uh, to five years, true touchless cash automation. I also see in these new systems that we have developed and through automation and the, the tools that we use, we are creating a ton of data, which is true and good. And we all talk about all the awesome parts of it. But I also think we got a little bit of a blocker and I see it at my own company, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else, is I think a block to real-time analytics for Mm. some is going to be just the data trash piles. There's just so much data. Some of it's wrong. Some of it's not mapped properly, even if it is accurate. And so I just feel like, man, how do you achieve what I think is a prediction, uh, which is uh, real-time analytics? But I think a blocker to that is just the enormous piles of trash of data we're all creating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we hear a lot about data management, um, you know, problems, and they just keep growing, and no one seems to be feeling like they're ready to tackle it. Do you think that that's something that will the next couple of years, people are going to finally push over that edge and, and actually tackle this stuff? Or are we all waiting for a ma- magical technology solution that will do it for us? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a hard problem to fix, right? Um, it's not sexy and new. And so as an executive, it's a hard project to really champion because you don't, you, you, you want to be working on something with a much cooler title than we're going to clean up the poor data that our systems are creating. And even the good data isn't mapped properly. 
And so these process automation tools or, or robotic process automation tools aren't providing the real-time analytics and creating information to the data because we just have these huge piles of trash. Like that was a long description I just gave. And it's hard to get the CEO super excited about that. Uh, but I think it's it's super important. And I think uh, what will end up probably happening is people will try to chip away at it over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if somebody can come up with a tool that does it for you, they will be very rich. <laughs> Absolutely. And one other prediction, I think, the more accountants that I talked to, we were a little slower to the remote work game than everybody else. A lot of my fellow accountants, we uh, may be a little slower to adopt that over the past 10 years, but the pandemic, as horrible as it was and still is, and everybody's had uh, impact to their family personally, so I'm not making light of it, but you know, trying to find a, a silver lining to this is as we've had to pivot and we're all working remotely or many of us are working remotely as the jobs allow. Senior financial executives that I talk to are sort of looking around and going, wow, we're all getting the work done. The teams are all working efficiently, effectively, and there's some benefit maybe to productivity. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a long-term sustainable thing, but in the recently, seems like it's it's productivity is equal to, if not greater than, and so I think there's going to be a some adoption to that. And one thing that I think is interesting as an accountant, the next question we always ask is as we nod and go, yeah, this thing's kind of working out. Maybe I was wrong. And I, I'm going to take ownership here, Mercy. I was one of those people who was anti-remote. Um, everywhere I've ever worked, I thought people who work remote, you know, don't, they don't want to come in the office. They're, they're just lazy. They don't care about their career. And uh and now I feel like that was just like the dumbest thing ever. It was so, so stupid. Offices are so dumb. I don't understand why any of anybody goes into an office and commutes. That's so silly. Uh, but as accountants, we sit and talk. We're like, wait a minute. Okay, so if we all think remote for certain roles um, as it is possible has some real benefit, well, hmm, there's a lot of facility costs to a person. And if I don't have these facility costs, that's real opportunity savings. And so from a real estate perspective, I think that there, it'll, I, I just feel like the most senior financial executives I talk to think that there's going to be some downsizing over time, significant downsizing. Not, it's not like people don't need an office and shared workspace. And this isn't true for everybody. You know, some, to make an automobile, you got to be near the automobile that is not going to be manufactured in your basement. So I'm not talking about all roles, but but some roles and some roles some of the time can work remote. And so I think it's gonna have some downward pressure on pricing for real estate. Mm. And I think over time, people who had maybe a whole building will have a half a building. If they had a couple floors, we'll have one floor. Um, I think that that will have an impact to real estate. I think that's another prediction over the next zero months to 36 months as leases come up, I think senior financial executives are going to look around and go, do I really need all this space? Totally. Do you think that pushes all the way to ideas like um, fractional and part-time CFOs, um, you know, going on to virtual audits, you know? Well, uh, virtual audits, I mean, they, they've been talking about that for 
10 years. Um, some CPA firms are way better at that and, and um, really jumped on board that early. Uh, I can think of a couple I won't mention because I don't want to, I don't want the other ones to email me and say, we've been doing it too. <laughs> uh, so that, but I think the, the uh, acceptance from the client, you know, the, the, the entity like myself saying, yes, I, I, you know what, I'll accept a remote audit now. Um, I think there'll be more acceptance from the client site. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm sorry, Mercy, I forgot the first part of the question. The fractional CFOs, I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's like a very, tends to be, you know, for your smaller companies, but it's an interesting trend. Yeah, I, 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 I think for sure. I think that there are a lot of senior financial executives that find themselves if they that really like I know a bunch of fractional CFOs and some of them really like the idea that they just feel like it's exciting it's invigorating it's awesome instead of having one dedicated client and being an internal consultant for one firm as this chief financial officer of just one firm what if they could be the chief financial officer of three or four or five or six firms and so they find that really exciting and I think that the, the, the inhibitor there is not whether or not you're on site remote or not. It's the, the willingness of the client to accept the fact that they've gotten large enough that they're willing to pay for somebody of a senior financial executive caliber. You know, right. they're, they're, they like to pay for a bookkeeper. You know, they, well, I got Bob, I pay him $12 an hour. Julie's a superstar. She's awesome. She's an accounting ninja but she's $150 an hour. I'm like, I don't care if she's remote or not. That's the biggest inhibitor mm. for the growth of being a fractional CFO. It's converting small firms that have become small mid-market firms that are willing to pay for real senior financial executive advice for growth and leadership. Right. Any other uh, interesting or surprising, perhaps, trends on the horizon for finance? Uh, you know, perhaps in terms of, of people, where talent's coming from, or or yeah, changes to process, other technologies that we didn't talk about earlier. Yeah, I got three things that are coming to mind, Mercy. That uh, as we were talking about uh, predictions and remote, one one thing I, I've seen also on the talent side in the future that I think is really exciting is I'm seeing a lot of highly skilled CPAs coming out of college with st real strength in data analytics. So if anybody's gonna, anybody's gonna figure out this data trash pile, it's gonna be these young folks that are coming out. They're CPAs, sure, and, uh, but they have, I mean, they are heavy hitters with data analytics. These are like force multipliers with, um, I mean, they are special forces coming out of of college right now with this like a dual threat with both the finance background so they can talk to me because they know debits and credits all right cool but these people can also talk to my bi team my mm. hris team they can talk to my it team because it's like they're they're um they speak both languages so that that's actually really exciting i'm starting to see uh these these young people with talent i didn't have and i don't have so that's that's probably exciting thing number one uh, I think exciting thing number two, as an employer, the flip side of the remote thing is, uh, you know, uh, uh, allowing 100% remote is a huge hiring advantage. Mercy, when I'm when I'm I'm filling roles all the time. I got 87 open positions at the firm that we're at, LifecycleEngineering.com careers. Check it out. <laughs> is uh, I don't care if you live in Kansas in a van down by the river. 
as long as you've got internet access. And that is a huge advantage. You don't have to be in Philly or South Carolina or, or San Diego, which is awesome. And a lot of people want to be there. Uh, I can hire people from anywhere. And what an advantage, instead of having to post jobs sort of near the offices where I had, or maybe have a long conversation about, do we let people work in other places? Now it's like, I don't care where you hire somebody, hire the best talent from anywhere, huge advantage. For my firm, I think the talent that we're getting uh, in the past six months has been amazing and so quick because we've opened the aperture. So I think huge hiring advantage for firms that are adopting that and um, have adopted that in the past. And I'm just now sort of becoming visible too. And then lastly, I think, so what does that mean on the for the employee side? So what if, hey, I'm a candidate, I'm looking, I'm in transition or I'm open to new opportunities, I'm considering things. Hey, Robert, how do I get out there? You know, I'm not in, I'm not in the finance game, I'm in another area. What, what recommendations do you have for me if the aperture's open and there's whole this opportunity? Well, number one, you need to, you need to maybe upskill your talent. Now you're on a competitive field with the whole United States of America or nay, the world. So you, you may have to upskill with a certification, with uh, you may need to be writing something or reading something or taking some classes. So number one, I would just say upskill. Number two, you then need to be networking. You need to be out and about. Number two, you need to be a visible expert. So now you've upskilled, now you're out and about. Don't just go to something, speak at something. Hmm. And then the last thing I'd say is, uh, and this is true, it doesn't matter. This is, uh, this is industry agnostic. You need to be volunteering as a visible expert in the industries in which are important to you or in which you serve as a member of that business community. There's some industry association and they desperately need volunteers on every committee, including, including the committee that is, is net, has the kind of as need for talents that you have. So I would say upskill networking, be a visible expert and volunteer in the industries in which you serve. Awesome. I love those points about talent. Um, it's we in these conversations we get so overfocused on what the next technology is and what all the magic that that's going to do. And I love thinking about what the next generation of finance professionals are going to bring to the table and the ways in which they can uh, show themselves and and make themselves seen. Yeah, I really do think talent trumps technology. I I I can because I've seen really untalented people ruin technology and. You, you really can't purchase awesome, expensive, fantastic technology and then have imbeciles implement it. Um, but I can, you, you know, I've worked at places where, wow, a little um, tribe of experts are making it happen with no technology, like the worst, uh, just uh, piles of trash technology. So what do we do, Mercy? How about we get both? How we get best in class tools and then our people, we either hire best in class or we give those people the training and the skills and the systems so that they can become best in class and they get both. Now you're, now you're working with, a, what do you call that, working with fire? Heck yeah. <laughs> awesome. Can I ask you a little quick bonus question kind of related Absolutely. to that? Um, so it sounds like you're bringing a lot of, of new folks on board and a lot of them are onboarding remotely. I'm wondering if you've, as you've been remote, 
how have you, uh, if you've developed any new um, approaches to evaluating and or onboarding folks, um, particularly in the finance area? I've got, um, so I've got a, um, a, this is an awesome question and I do not have this figured out. And I think, uh, Mercy, I like listening to your podcast actually. And so I think you should ask this question again to others. And maybe after four or five people answer it, one of them will be awesome. I'm not sure my answer is gonna be awesome, but I'll, I'll share what I have found thus far very early in my journey. And a couple of things are super basic. So one is that having done it a couple different ways, I think there's a real benefit early on in the onboarding process to physically seeing the person so that they feel, it has nothing to do with me and my team and the company, but it's so that they feel a sense of connectivity to the firm and a, a sense of the culture. And it, they feel like it's a real benefit. I, I've noticed that it, I didn't think it mattered to people, but people seem to, it, that it really matters, that they, they feel like, oh, wow, invested in. And this, this is important to people. And it, I'm not just a person, I'm a part of a team, is uh, bringing a team member in at some, as, as able and appropriate for the pandemic. Um, that people seem to really value that. So um, that was a, that's sort of a recent learning, uh, having not done it and then gotten feedback from folks that we've onboarded. Another thing is that we found that, wow, our onboarding process is super inefficient, like unbelievably too many steps. And it's like arduous. It's like, thank God we are paying these people because you would not do this for free. And we have just kicked off, like in the past two weeks, a lean initiative analyzing the onboarding process. Because mm. we've got it, we found out, oh, it's pretty automated, but boy, it's arduous. And, and that is like the worst combination. Uh, Peter Drucker has a quote, it's something like, there's nothing worse than automating something that shouldn't be done at all. And it, it does feel like we've really automated a bunch of things that people shouldn't have to do. Um, or why are people having to type things in multiple times? It's like somehow the onboarding process just slipped through the cracks and you never noticed it until you had to like virtually onboard people. And you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. Um, so I would, th those are two immediate things that come to mind and they're like really uh, basic mercy, but that's what I got for you. No, absolutely. Um, maybe a little unfair of me to dip over into HR. So I appreciate your answer on this. Do you want to drop that uh, that uh, link to the careers page one more time before we go? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things. So definitely. Uh, so Lifecycle Engineering is a consulting firm and a defense contractor. And so definitely check out Lifecycle Engineering and check out our careers page. We're constantly hiring folks that want to help uh, manufacturing companies solve problems or the DOD solve problems. And then I'm Robert Bendetti. I think I'm the only CFO Robert Bendetti in, on LinkedIn. So I'm easy to find. I'm the bald guy. And if you are a CFO, then check out the Global CFO Council. Absolutely. Folks, definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much, Robert. This is awesome. Thank you, Mercy. It was a pleasure being on your podcast. Well, once again, this is Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please visit apqc.org to learn more and have a great rest of your day.